Welcome to the Geek to Geek Podcast, where knick-knack, paddywhack, give a dog a bone. I'm Void, and I'm here with my co-host, Beige. You you stole what I was going to do. <laughs> yes. You knick-knack thief. I did. Today, we are talking about geeky knick-knacks and some of the toys to life stuff that kind of goes with it. Um, we jammed them together because it kind of made sense. They're kind of in the same realm of stuff. So as far as geeky knick-knacks and like toys to life, if you guys don't know toys to life, we're talking about things like um, Amiibos and Skylanders and Disney Infinity, all that stuff. So I have some thoughts about this, but I really want to do this topic because I know that you have a lot more thoughts and you're much more into this kind of thing than I am. Yeah, I have been pretty much a huge collector of everything my entire life. I'm kind of a geeky pack rat. I've had to really change my habits as I've grown up and had to buy my own stuff. But uh, for the most part, I love this kind of stuff. I love geeky knickknacks. I'm just looking around my office right now at all of the stuff that I have in here and that I want to put in here once once we get the shelves in that my wife is building me for that particular reason. That's really cool. I didn't I know that she was building it. you bonus shelves to store more things. Yeah, yeah, that's actually one of the things that, that she's specifically building. She's into woodworking. And so for my birthday was just a couple of weeks ago, and her present to me is is a set of homemade wall shelves that she's doing and that she's designing and staining and putting everything together. And I'm going to be putting them on my shelf. And a lot of the stuff that's going to go on there are graphic novels that like I'm, I think are really nice, like probably my Sandman hardcovers. And then there's going to be Disney Infinity figures I really like, and then just a lot of my Funkos and things like that, that the stuff that I care about, but not not the stuff like I have in storage or anything like that, but I'm going to actually decorate with this stuff on top of these homemade shelves. So this is something I really, really, really love. Like when I moved out of my office, whenever I, I changed jobs into freelancing, I had to go in there and I brought just boxes and bags and duffel bags. And I even brought a laundry hamper with me because I had so much stuff in there that students had given me because they knew I liked this stuff. Like I had a full on voice changing clone trooper helmet that you put on over your head. That's like a cosplay helmet that one of my students bought me at a garage sale and brought to me that I had sitting on my desk that was so big. I had to just carry it out like that. Like this is I love this stuff. That's awesome. And you said that it even kind of ties back to when you play MMOs. Like, you tend to be a collector just to be a collector, right? Uh-huh, yeah. It makes it really hard when you have games that don't give you a lot of inventory and bank space that it really breaks my heart because I will keep things that are completely useless just to show that I have them even if nobody else could ever see them. That I kept, like, in World of Warcraft, I kept my Tier 2 Druid stuff, getting my Storm Rage outfit, that I kept it for so long that I ended up getting rid of it and then totally regretting it until they put out uh, being able to transmog stuff. And I kept my benediction as a priest that I got it way back in vanilla and went through the priest epic quest, got all this and was one of these priests who was walking around with it. And when they put in transmogrification, I was so glad that I kept the thing. I'm never getting rid of it. I don't even have an active WoW subscription now, but I'm so proud that Every single time I upgrade my weapon and wow on my priest, I transmog it into benediction or anathema so that or anatheme, I don't even know how to pronounce it. And so that people can see it because I keep everything like that. I have so much tier gear that I've taken over the years in wow alone and just everything like that. I keep 
everything in MMOs. I'm like, oh, cool. This is a little holiday toy I got with my Rock'em Sock'em robots or something that just sits in my bank. Or, yeah, I know I have this non-combat pet already in my already on my account on all my characters but here's the little item that it came from and even though i can't use it and i've already claimed it it's going to sit here in my in my alt bank box because i can't bear to get rid of it because it was from the original world of warcraft collector's edition like that kind of stuff like i keep everything that's interesting to me because i'm not a collector um i would say that sometimes i'm a completionist but it's it's different okay like for me it's yeah, very it is. it's kind of what we talked about last week where when i decide to start going for achievements or in the same vein like a collection or a completion of something it's mm-hmm. it's very calculated it's like am i going to get enjoyment out of this is it worth the time that i'm putting into it like when i went for that final fantasy 15 trophy the platinum like that was uh-huh. totally worth it for me um there are other things where sometimes i want to be a completionist or i want to collect like all of the achievements or i want to every once in a while there might be something physical but like like i've mentioned before like i don't want a whole lot of physical stuff just taking up space in my house right so physical goods it's much less compelling for me i've never really been a collector of them but like when i was a kid you know pokemon there was a time when it was back when there were only 151 but i I wanted to catch them all Uh you know things like that so and i didn't okay yeah that's interesting weird enough like I didn't care anything at all about having all the Pokemon. I only cared about the ones I liked. And that was something that that hasn't changed. Even when I thought I was going to go for all the new Pokemon, I still don't care about having all of them. I just want the cool ones for those. Well, and that's how I am now. But I was just kind of using it as an example that there are times in my Mm -hmm. life where I decide that, yes, I would like to collect all of a thing but it's almost always it's almost always related to completionism like i want to complete all of a book series or uh, that's i guess that's a good example i have all of the books from the new star wars expanded universe and i'm completely up to date with it and that i guess is a collection even though it's digital i mean it's sitting Uh on my devices but it's because i want to be completionist about the star wars lore so things along those lines and for me, it's based out of fear that I learned a long t- about a year ago when I was going through counseling for anxiety and things that would uh, just trigger this kind of, of stress in my life that I react so much out of fear of missing out that I have this this fear of regret. So a lot of times I will collect things. I will hold on to stuff or I will get like anything like even in an MMO and hold on to it out of the fear of regret of needing it later or missing out missing it later so like if i were to get rid of my tier two druid gear i wouldn't keep it necessarily because i wanted to wear it around or even see it it was out of the fear that i would never be able to get it again and uh like have that achievement wiped out almost where that's the kind of thing where I would like, I would have to get all of these star Wars toys because I may not be able to buy them later. Even if I didn't need them, even if I didn't have any desire for it, I may not be able to buy that in 10 years. If I come back and want it, there were so many big ifs that I would use that as a, as a motivation to collect stuff that I'm moving past that. Now I actually have to actively work on not being afraid of missing out on something and, just learning to be like eh if i miss the train i miss the train it's not worth it right now yeah that's definitely interesting but it's not a good way to live you know no that it is not no that you're doing it out of fear just thinking through like what you were saying the only time i ever feel compelled to get something even if i'm not super excited and like 
it would be if I was right near the end of a complex of a collection or right near the end of a completion and I'm only missing a couple, I might like grind it out or yeah. pay a little bit of money just to be like, oh, I'm like right near the end. Like, let's just finish yep. this off so it feels like it's done. But most of the time, I, I don't get that collection impulse in the first yeah. place. So I never even start. So, I mean, yeah. we can start getting into some of the toys to life stuff because like Disney Infinity is one that you and I both have, but I think yes. we treat it very differently because for me, like I bought the three point oh, yeah, three point oh set, yeah, the and Star Wars one, right? The Star Wars one, yep. And then I bought enough stuff so that I had like all of the play sets that came out right at the launch of that game. So I think it was the original trilogy, and then the Force Awakens, and mm-hmm. there was also. What was the last one? And then there was Twilight of the Republic that came yeah. with it with the starter pack with the Clone Wars stuff. There was also Inside Out, and I grabbed that one because I knew that my kids would like it. So, Did you get the superhero stuff, the Marvel Battlegrounds with the new Captain America, anything like that when it came out? That was, I think, the last actual playset they did before they uh, they canceled it and just started releasing some standalones to finish out the the stuff they had had in production. No, I, I basically just I bought a bunch of stuff up front right when I got okay. it. And that was almost the extent of anything that I bought. Um, later, I bought a couple of things that my kids really wanted to play with. So, I mean, basically yeah. how I use it, I bought all those sets and then I didn't let my kids even know about the game or touch the game until I had played through all the play sets, which honestly only took me like three days. They're super fast yeah. to play. Yeah, they them. really are. And then after I had played through everything and I had all my, you know, the figures were pristine. I was very careful with them. Like I enjoyed them for their aesthetics and then the gameplay of them. And then I told my kids about it and I just kind of was hands off. And it's like, these are yours now. Do whatever you want with them. So most of them are broken in some way or another now. But <laughs> yeah. um I enjoyed them, you know, in their kind of perfect state for about three or four days. And that's all I needed. After that, I was fine. I was like, here's how it works, kids. You can play with it. And they barely even play the play sets. They play with the toy box, which is just kind of the open world sandbox. And they just constantly are switching characters. So they'll jump between Star Wars. And I have a couple standalone, like, superheroes, too, that they'll jump over to. And they they have, like, Frozen. And they have all sorts of stuff. You know, all the Disney stuff. But, yeah, I mean, I played it. I got what I wanted to out of it in less than a week. And then I just turned it over to my kids. And I played it for about like really hardcore for about a month and a half to two months, maybe, maybe three months. And I loved it. Like it got me back into playing video games regularly that my mom got it for me as an early birthday present last year. And I loved it. Like this was probably the best Star Wars game I'd played in years. It was the best Star Wars game I'd played in years, probably since the Force Unleashed. And I, I mean, I went all in and it turns out that as much as I love the Star Wars stuff, I love the superhero stuff, except for the Avengers one. The Spider-Man is just great. The Guardians of the Galaxy playset in version two is phenomenal, but the Avengers one is just really, really bland. And what really got it for me was my wife's favorite franchise and movie in the world is The Incredibles. So we were able to play a game together and her finally be able to play the Incredibles and for us to do something together like that and like I said in one of the early episodes she liked the smashy smashy she didn't care anything about the building or any of the rest of it she just wanted to go around smash stuff as Elastigirl and so we did that and we were able to do it together and 
because I'm such a collector, I really liked having the the ability to both have something physical and these figures were so well made. Like I loved the construction and the modeling on the figures. Like they're the kind of thing that I would want to have sitting around my office for like my favorite superheroes or Star Wars characters. And then I was able to use them to collect other things in the world and it really motivated me to keep playing and unlocking new stuff. But once I got done with it, I was done with it. That I haven't played it in a long time and I I really am thinking about going back and playing through some of the stuff like Inside Out that I haven't played all the way through. So because they're so different kinds of games, like that's a platformer that you can do. And now that they've canceled it, you can get the figures much cheaper that I thought about going back, grab paying like the $10 it might be to get the other couple of Inside Out figures and having a really good platform game that I haven't played yet that uh, just to take my time whenever I want to that Jennifer and I can co-op through. So there's that's why I liked it so much is that there was so much variety that also hit on a lot of the the collector aspects of the world and and in the game I mean and in the real world that whenever I set up these shelves I'm going to have like my light effects Yoda sitting on there along with probably like this really awesome Venom figure that I've kind of wanted for years. Compared to some of the other Toys to Life stuff, I really do think that Disney Infinity was like the best quality figures. And yeah, absolutely. I mean, my kids still sometimes play it, but it's kind of on their back burner. It's on the way out. I mean, they play Nintendo games mostly. Mm -hmm. um, they barely visit like Disney Infinity anymore. So when they yeah. are all the way done with it and um, I kind of retire those figures, I'm going to throw out a bunch of them that are broken, but I'm probably going to look through the ones that are still in good shape and I'll keep a couple of them around because they do look mm -hmm. really good. They do. And there are a couple that I still want just for the, the construction on the figure. And I got really, really, really bummed out when they canceled this because they released a Spider-Gwen concept that they were going to release later last year that we didn't get. And it was an awesome little statuette that I would to this day love sitting on my desk right now because it was just so well made and so cool like it's it's better than any of the other stand like little memorabilia things that you can get for that particular character that I've seen it would have been really cool like they really put a lot of work into the art design on that game I'm curious when you did play for you said like a month and a half what were you doing like were you just replaying the play sets over and over or were you in the toy box just messing around like my kids do or like what was there because I felt like I ran out of content in the first week and I was just done. I was going through all of the playsets that I ended up going through and buying uh, the version one and two as well to go through the different playsets. Oh, and okay. what I was doing was going through every single playset and all the stories. And then I would go with those and do a lot of the replaying, um, getting all the boxes that you had to hunt for. So I would be out in the world, like unlocking all of these like wall climbing boxes or super force jump boxes and just searching around and exploring and collecting which is unlike me i don't do that kind of thing in games most of the time i'm like oh yeah here's this cool extra thing like i found this box on a ledge and for some reason disney infinity made it so that i was like i have to find all of these purple boxes give them to me now if i don't have them i'm going to die <laughs> okay. and so i sat there and I hunted for these in every playset. Like I was going for different star ratings in Star Wars, like going through and repeating missions with the individual characters to get 
the best ratings that I have never done that kind of thing. My entire life, I've cared zero about ratings and like doing better on challenges. But this one, I was like, man, I want to do better at this as Han Solo or whatever it was. Like I just had to do it. And it, it pushed me into honestly gaming the way I do today. Over the last year, my gaming habits changed because of getting that game. That's interesting. Okay, cool. Well, that makes a lot of sense. If you did go back and you grabbed a bunch of playsets that existed already, I can see how that would take you a lot longer. Um, yeah. How about Amiibo? When it comes to Amiibo, like, I suspect you don't have any, or if you do, you no. only have a couple. I have zero of them. There are some of them that I would like to have, again, as the kind of thing that I would sit around because they're really cool. Like the Yoshi's Woolly World ones look really cool because they're like little plushes. And I don't care because they don't add anything to the games in my opinion that are worth paying the money for on amiibos that that i like disney infinity because it's like you put this on and you're playing as this character there's a you can level up the entire character there are talent trees basically where you upgrade everything and then for the amiibos as i understand it because i've never used them it's like you put this in it's like it's going to unlock this one little special part for this game but not really do anything else so that's true in a lot of the games that they're compatible with um right although keep in mind that they are compatible with multiple games so if you get one mario amiibo you can use it a bunch of places as long as it doesn't have to store data on it which yeah you can only store one set of data on one amiibo so yeah that kind of gets in the way sometimes but a lot of the games it's just you tap it to it once it unlocks something so a good example of this is mario kart um, if yeah. you're playing Mario Kart 8 and you tap your amiibo, you unlock a costume for your Miis in the game that looks like okay. that character. So you can sit oh, down and okay. just go tap, 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 tap with, you know, I have like 20 or 25. I, I have more amiibos than I do Disney Infinity figures. Um, right. And you can just tap it one after another and unlock all the things one time and then never have to touch it again. But oh, okay. there and there are a bunch of games like that. Like Yoshi's Woolly World does kind of the same thing. You can get different variants of Yoshi. And okay. um, if you actually have a Yoshi amiibo, you can get like a Yoshi companion character in the game. So that's something that it really adds. That's not just unlocking is to have like a computer controlled AI thing with you, Oh, which okay. totally changes the game. And there are things like Mario Party 10. You unlock special boards based on your character. But the, I think the coolest implementation and the reason that I have so many is Smash Brothers. And... I got a bunch that I wanted right when they came out because I just wanted them to collect and I wanted yeah, to kind of play around. And like I everyone knows that I like Nintendo. And no. yeah, I wanted to see what they could do and just kind of experiment with them. Um, and I never went into it thinking I need all of these. Like I, I wasn't going to collect them all. I just grabbed the ones I was interested in. And then what ended up happening is that they are really fun in Smash Brothers because it saves the data to the amiibo. So you tap it to it and your guy starts out as level one. And then over time, the computer actually learns based on how you fight it and it will level up and it will gain abilities and it will it, it progresses over time and you keep saving it back to the amiibo. So you can bring in max level amiibos and you can bring in like low level ones. You can have them fight each other. You can have them fight alongside you. You can have them fight for the other team. There's so many things to do with it. And as soon as my kids learned about that, because they play Smash Brothers all the time, it became so worth it for them to have Amiibos just to play around with in Smash Brothers. And they constantly are using the Amiibos in Smash Brothers. Like, I haven't touched an Amiibo to a gamepad or a 3DS or anything in I don't even know how many months it's been. But my kids, they've done it in the last day. Like, they are constantly using those things for Smash Brothers. And 
I don't like Smash Brothers. That's a game that I have just, it's just not my kind of game. I try every version that comes out and I'm like, yep, this is still not the kind of thing that I want to play. But that makes a lot of sense for Smash Brothers, why that would be a selling point uh, for people who really like that kind of game or like that game. For me, just even listening to this, it doesn't seem like that kind of extra content, having a couple extra costumes and, and extra boards in Mario Kart, that doesn't seem like it's worth the cost to me because Amiibos are, you know, what, $15 a piece usually? Something like, like that, yeah. Is that amount of content that you get? Because I, I basically consider these DLCs. Like whenever you're doing something with Amiibos, they seem more like DLC than they do uh, add-ons to the game itself, like like peripherals almost. And is it worth that? Like getting the extra costumes in Mario Kart, if all that's all you have, is probably not worth getting the uh, the I don't know the Midna one to unlock a I don't even know if there's a Midna costume to get but if you get the the Wolf and Midna amiibo would that be worth it just for Mario Kart because that just seems like almost a waste of money well it totally depends on who you are and which figure you're picking up and if you like the look of it because again the build quality on these is really good so when all is said and done it can just be a toy that sits on your desk and when you think yeah. about it like that $15 isn't that much I mean you know Not you start really. comparing it to like Funko Pops and other things that people buy that have no extra functionality um so it's not at all out of the realm of what's affordable and you know 15 dollars mm. is like the suggested retail pl- price i've bought most of mine when they go on sale or discount or whatever um I-, I only bought my very first round of them at full price and i didn't get a whole lot that time it's just over time my kids really like them so i picked them up on sale basically yeah yeah it's it depends on the game and the amiibo because different ones do different things in different games right like if you were to buy one amiibo and you got the yoshi's woolly world one which is actually yeah. a knit amiibo that looks super cool if you guys haven't seen it just yeah Google they that. really do look cool yeah so it's this little knit figure that is awesome just for being itself but then you can actually get a whole computer controlled ai assistant like if that's the only one that you bought for your entire collection because you love yoshi's woolly world that is probably worth it for you or right. like in the upcoming um breath of the wild which these are coming to the nintendo switch too they're they're keeping pushing their amiibo line like they have that nfc technology to read them in one of the joy cons so if you bring i can't remember exactly which one but there's a set that they're releasing for breath of the wild and one of them when you scan it in it lets you have like the link wolf companion from twilight princess and you actually Uh bring it with you throughout the entire game of breath of the wild after you scan it in so it would change your gameplay for the the whole game things like that if you're buying one or two here and there specifically for that reason it's definitely worth the money or like the way that i justify it was one my kids just like it and it's worth it when i buy them on sale but then also this is another thing that if we ever get sick of amiibos which will happen eventually i will rescue a handful of them and i will keep them as knickknacks to sit around you know because they don't take up a whole lot of space and they look really cool yeah, I mean, that was one of the things that I'd thought about with Amiibos. I've seen some of the 8-bit ones specifically that I just legit like as toys that if I ever saw for under $5, I might grab just to sit on my desk or something like that. Because yeah. even though I have no desire, an 8-bit Link or an 8-bit uh, Mega Man or something would be really cool to have. Exactly. Just from nostalgia. 
And but I'm the same way you are. I'm trying to get away from buying just stuff for the sake of buying it and just having so much clutter around my house. And so even geeky clutter, as awesome as it is, I don't want a ton of it because I've moved so many times and I'm just kind of tired of everything being so just haphazard with it that I'm concentrating on getting just the stuff I truly care about that I'm not buying. I'm not buying the Plo Koon Funko Pop or I'm not going to buy the the toad in on a special motorcycle amiibo just to have it i'm going to buy the spy i'm slit like i'm sick i was sick for weeks and i went and on my birthday and had to go get another bunch of antibiotics and i went to the store and to have to pick it up and i was like i see a spider gwen funko I'm buying that, and it made me feel better. It was my birthday present to myself, and that kind of thing. I put it beside my wife's Kamala Khan, Ms. Marvel Funko that we have in our living room. Like that was something I made a specific choice to buy, as opposed to just being like, I have to have all of these because they exist, kind of thing. Which is what I know a lot of people have done with Amiibos and and Skylanders and Disney Infinity stuff, which is something I can't do anymore that I would have used to. Right, and like for us, the Amiibos like they don't take up any space for me because my kids have a bunch of big like totes downstairs that have yeah um just toys in them and they're kind of separated by the type of toy or when they would use it so they have a giant action figure tote and when i turned over the amiibos and the disney figures disney infinity stuff to the kids all of it just went in their action figure tote i'm like i don't i don't care whatever you guys are gonna break it anyway Mm -hmm. so i don't need to keep it somewhere special i don't need them out on a shelf i don't need them taking up my space they can just go in your tote and that's where all of them live which is totally what my nephew did like my my niece and and her my great nephew my niece and her her husband did that for disney infinity and sky Landers. They just have a tote for their son in uh, in the living room that he just pulls stuff out, kind of throws it around. If it breaks, it breaks. But he plays with them on the console and then throws them back in this giant plastic tote. Yeah, and the, my kids play with them outside of the console too, which is another thing mm-hmm. that makes it worth it. Like they just play with them with the other action figures. So it's like I have definitely gotten my money out of the ones I've bought. And again, I haven't bought a ton of them. I probably have around. 20 maybe and there are right. way more than that out there um and i'm i'm basically done buying them unless something crazy comes up for a game that i really want to do but yeah you mentioned skylanders and that's another thing that i wanted to say skylanders is something that like i haven't done i don't own any but despite that my kids know all about it because it's just one of those things that kids know about now they know about it from other kids they know about it from youtube from whatever commercial ads they end up seeing which they don't see a whole lot because we don't do cable tv or regular tv so it's kind of whatever they see online and then from other kids but my kids know all about skylanders and Mm -hmm. i think the only skylanders thing that they physically have in the house is they maybe got skylanders toys from mcdonald's once or twice and that's it. okay but like Every time we've seen them in the store, I'm like, nope, you have Amiibos, you have Disney Infinity, you do not need another thing like this. You're fine. Uh And that's actually why I don't have it. Like, I don't have any Skylanders, but I want them. Because the games look fun. That I know so many people who have played these games, and not just kids have played them, which I know who love them. Like, adults who are playing them with their kids. Like, these are actually very good games. And But you have, there is a huge investment on Skylanders. Like, they're, they're, they tend to be backward compatible, and you bring the older ones into the newer games sometimes. And there's a lot of them out there, and there's a lot of stuff that you can't do. Like, you 
actually cannot beat the game sometimes without buying extra Skylanders figures. Yeah, that kind that of stuff bugs me so like, much. There's gateways. Yeah, that bugs me. And so I haven't picked any up because I don't want to put in that much of a monetary investment, but I will eventually do it because you can buy two or three years ago starter packs for the P- for the PS3 or for the Wii that are around 8 or $10.00. Most of the time. And if I can get the ones that I need to beat that particular game uh, for uh, under like 15 bucks total, that's worth it because the games are supposed to be great. And then I can offload the game and starter pack on eBay or whatever like I do or give it as a gift to one of my friend's kids or my nephew or whatever. And that kind of thing is eventually going to be cool for me, but it just hasn't been worth it yet. I do see them in the Walmart clearance aisle all the time. And I'm like, I don't need to buy this. You don't have time to play that much of a video game right now. And so I always pass it by. But one day I'll pick it up because I do know that they're good games objectively, even outside of the stupid gated content. Yeah, and it's one of those things where it's like there's so much of a rabbit hole to go down with Skylanders now because there's so many different versions. And like you said, there's backwards compatibility and then you can get stuck in a game and have to go buy more, which is just I I hate that. So my kids like we when we see them in the store, they're like, oh, yeah, what about that? And I'm just like, um, no, you have other stuff. And it would be one thing if if it ever becomes the number one thing on one of my kids list for a holiday, like if that is the thing that they want above all else for Christmas or for their birthday or something, that would be one thing. But every time they've talked about Skylanders, it's kind of like way down their list. You know, it's like, oh, that'd be cool to have, but they're not super passionate about it. Um, If they ever did get to the point where it's absolutely the thing they want, I would probably end up getting it for them for a holiday or a birthday or something like that. Um, But I I just don't want to get into that if I can avoid it. And I have a friend who has a, I can't remember how old he is. I want to say he's five, but he's right around that age. And that's what happened this year. He got super into Sky Islanders just kind of out of nowhere like he watches YouTube videos talks to other kids at school that kind of thing and all he wanted for Christmas was Skylanders. Like that was what he was like, Hey, what do you get? What do you ask him for, for Christmas? And he was like, Skylanders. And we're like, do you want anything in particular? Like any particular ones like Skylanders. And it was, that was all he thought about. He's like, you want to play Skylanders? I'm going to go on the internet. You want to watch the Skylanders video with me? And it was just Skylanders, 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 Skylanders. And so like, like you said, if it ever became the number one thing, that's what you would get. And so it turned out like that was his number one thing. And so that was what he got. Like that was that was what mattered to him. But if it hadn't been, there's no way they would have gotten and gone down that rabbit hole that that is just too much unless that is they are invested in that. Yeah. And like my kids, the number one thing this year was Hatchimals, which is another creepy toy that they already barely use. My son broke his on like the first or second day, but they wanted it. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, yeah, but I mean, they wanted it and they were super happy the day that they got it for Christmas. And like that was the thing and they got it. Mm -hmm. So that's the end of that. Like, okay, (laughs) you know, that whatever ends up at the very top of your kid's list, unless it's something that's crazy expensive as a parent, you usually try to get that one thing, even if that means that you're not getting them a whole lot else because it's an expensive thing, you know? And yep. uh, Yeah. Yeah. That's just what happens. I have to ask about this, that, that I know my mom has told me that when I was kid for a kid, for me, it was power Rangers. Like when power Rangers came out, like I was so, you know, so into it. And it was the White Ranger and his Tiger Zord. Like, that was one year that I wanted that so bad. And 
she was one of those stereotypical moms who I know that she got into an altercation in the store and like had a woman try to take it out of her cart and like she basically got into a fist fight with her and yanked it back out of this lady's hands after she took it out of my mom's cart. Have you ever had to do that just to make sure that your kid has gotten the number one thing on their list that has been so hard to find? Nope. I would never do that. I We told our kids because we didn't know if we were going to be able to like find Hatchimals because it was crazy yeah. leading up to Christmas. Um, we just said, hey, we will. We know this is number one on your list. If we don't get it, you will get an IOU. Do you know what that is? And they're like, no. What is an IOU? Yeah. And okay. so we just explained it to them. We're like, it means that we'll get one later and you can pick it out when you have all the choices and they're easier to find. And they were like, okay, whatever. Like, kids are, okay. if you treat kids like they're intelligent, most of the time they are. After they hit about three years old, which I've talked about right. before, and they're they're more like a person and less like just a bundle of needs, <laughs> um, you can... <laughs> I mean, you can reason with your children. You know, people don't always do it. I see other parents that treat their kids like they're not like they're dumb, but like animals. I, I treat my kids a lot of the time as if they are adults. And yes, sometimes I have to come in and be the parent and lay down the law. And I hate doing oh, yeah. that, but I do it. Um, but if you just treat them like they are an adult, a lot of the time they are perfectly capable about, I don't understand this concept. Explain it to me. Okay, here you go. Mm -hmm. And you have a discussion and they learn new words. They learn what things mean. They learn how the world works. And hey, you can't get this thing because it costs so much money. And they're like, yeah. how does money work? How much money do we need? What do we use money for? You know, it's like, well, we have to pay for the house. We have to pay for health insurance, you know, things like that. And my kids understand that because I've taken the time to tell them about it and i treat them like they're smart enough to know and they do now and you know they're four and six like it, it's just one of those things that i guess it's my style of parenting to just treat them like they can handle these concepts i don't know how i got on that tangent <laughs> but hey it, it goes in with toys i mean it really does on teaching that was something that that i didn't i, I mean i got but i liked this stuff so much i was so into it that my parents went out of their way for that but I was kind of a jerk kid, so I've had to learn how to get past that as I've gotten older. Yeah, and I won't let my kids be jerks. I will come down hard as a parent if I ever see them being like that. It's just, I, I don't deal with that. Oh, my <laughs> parents did. Don't get me wrong. They they really worked hard on me not to be a jerk. Just part of it didn't take. Uh -oh. And it took until adulthood to not really be a total poop human being. <laughs> well, there is only so much you can do, but I don't know. You do your best as a parent and then Yeah. Yeah. Um okay, the only other thing with the Toys to Life stuff that we wanted to talk about was Lego Dimensions. I know like I know what it is, but that's about it. Uh, have you actually oh, played I around with it? You guys this? had it. No, I don't have it. It's another big investment that I just didn't want to get into. Like we have we have Disney Infinity and we have Amiibos and that's plenty. And Lego Dimensions is a huge investment, and it's actually very neat. Like, I like Lego Dimensions, and I thought about picking it up, but it is mega expensive. And I really like Lego stuff, and I really like Lego games now, uh, But and, and it's very good Lego games. And the way that they do it is phenomenal, because there are level packs that you can get on different franchises that... That, that just open up, you know, entire, basically mini Lego games that have like whole zones and areas that you can interact with and bring in other Lego figures from different different franchises and use them. And they all have different tools and, and skill sets. 
But one thing that's really obnoxious about it is that they're very expensive, that they are they are just they're, they're Lego priced, which if you've ever bought Lego playsets to put together any of these branded playsets, you know how expensive they are. Oh, yeah. That you get like Lego City stuff and they're, you know, a third of the price of the Marvel ones. And because all of this is branded, it gets very, very expensive very quickly that it's like 30 or 40 dollars for a couple of levels that add to the game and a couple of minifigures, which is just crazy. And that's not worth it to me. You're paying right now. I think you can get the base and the normal game for depending if it's on sale, 50 to $80. And then you're paying 25 to 30 for different levels. You're paying 15 for just minifigures to use in the game. Like they're so expensive. And the only real saving grace of this, in my opinion, is that you get legit Lego stuff that you get minifigures that you can't get elsewhere. That if you're a collector on Lego, that you're the kind of person who has these minifigures and, and that is your thing then there are some very cool ones that you can get like the wonder woman one is really cool with the invisible jet there's some really cool adventure time ones that i would just love to have but they're so crazy expensive that the oh that'd be neat to have is not worth the amount of money that you have to pay and then while you're playing the game like i have a friend who has it who the same the same guy who has this who did the skylanders over over christmas he's talked about how obnoxious it is that you have to constantly take stuff on and off the base so unlike amiibo and disney infinity where you can you either leave it on the base or you click it once and you're done like you are moving back and forth on and off the base constantly so you have to be within arm's reach of all your figures that you're going to need and the base itself that as you're in the middle of gameplay you have to swap figures off of the base constantly to use different abilities and to me that's bad game design that i understand they wanted it to be more interactive for the kids and the players but instead of it being interactive it turns into kind of like a nintendo gimmick with their touch screens and motion controls where it's it's an it's obtrusive as opposed to making you feel immersed yep and for us it was like it, it was those reasons. It looked too annoying as a game, and then it also was too expensive as a toy. Like, I would rather take yeah. that money and just go get them, like, the one Lego set that they really want. Or even better, what I usually do is I just go and get the giant, like, things of... Um, it's just pieces. It's not a Lego set. Yeah. You know, you can spend 20 bucks and get like something like 400 pieces, you know, yep, or you can absolutely. spend 40 or $50 and go get one Lego set that like gets put together, you know, that looks cool. And most of the time, my kids, they will build a set once because they think it's fun and then they tear it down and it just goes in their Legos anyway. So sometimes I bypass it and I just get them a ton of Legos and they're just as yep. happy. Yeah. And I love my nephew because he does this and he loves the sets. Like, because he's super into superheroes and he loves that kind of thing so like the one of the first purchases he ever made with his own money he's six now and he saved up his birthday money and he bought the avengers tower and he put it together like that was that was specifically what he wanted and because he loves those sets so much he writes out his own lego instructions like for sets that he wants that they don't exist he writes his own booklets of lego instructions to put them together like if this existed like how some kids will write out uh, like graphic novels, like they'll write little comics or scripts or, or or books or whatever. Part of his is 
writing out Lego instructions to show how you would put together this thing that he would love to have exist. Like, I love it. Like, wow. I think that is so cool. That's dedication. <laughs> cool. Yeah, it is. He loves them. Um, okay. And I just also want to talk about geeky, like knickknacks in general. Mm. So I have much less than you do. I, yeah. I like, I don't like physical clutter. I've talked about that before. Um, but I do have a few things that I try to keep on my desk, especially like when I worked in an office. Um, I'm looking around my desk that I'm sitting at right now as a freelancer, and I have one set of dice, and I don't even know why it's here because it should be over on the other side of the room. But that's it. Um, but when I was in an office, I had a couple things that I would always keep in my desk. I have this little green one up mushroom that I really like that's very subtle, but it's, it's not gigantic. It's just a little one. And then I have a yo yo just for like, something to do with my hands if i'm thinking i play with a yo-yo sometimes and then i had a a koopa troopa plushie that was not gigantic but just i don't know four or six inches tall and those are kind of like the core things that i would keep around my desk i didn't have a whole lot because i never wanted to clutter up my desk but you have a lot of things right I do. And this came from, you know, being a kid and collecting stuff. And the older I got, um, just having stuff around, I loved it. And I had all of it. Um, like, like there was, there was just a few things like I had, I loved stuff. If you haven't gathered that yet, you guys. And I used to be so intense about all this stuff. I had to have all of it. Like I said, it was fear of missing out. Like I wanted just everything. And my bedroom walls as a teenager were filled with memorabilia that I had. You know, you'll see my friend Luke used to tell me that he would see people's Star Wars collections on like documentaries and he would like be like, oh, BJ's is, he has way more than that stuff. And it was like, I did. And I just had walls and walls of hanging Star Wars action figures still in the, still in the packages. I had Lord of the Rings figures everywhere, collectors, everything all over. Just the walls were just plastered with it. I had stuff sat up on shelves. I had it everywhere. And then later, what I started collecting was bigger things that I would get as gifts. And like I've talked about my Yoda statue before that's gone with me places. That is this episode two uh, limited edition thing that came from FAO Schwartz that my parents had to order. Like it's sitting beside me right now. And like I started collecting the replica lightsabers from Master Replicas. Have you ever seen any of those? Yeah, and I want one eventually. But um, one of the things with me for physical objects is that I want a place to put it before I right. get the thing. I don't want the thing just to have it. Like, I need a place for it to fit in my house and to display it. And I cannot think of a place to put a lightsaber in my house right now. Yeah. But I want one eventually because those are super cool. And I, I don't want a million of them. I don't want the entire collection. I just want to go and pick one that I'm really, I think, is mm. awesome. Maybe, like, the Anakin Luke lightsaber that carried through for so long that, yeah. you know, went to Finn and Rey. That one might be really cool to have. But, yeah, yeah, I, I, I know what they are. I want one eventually and i loved these like when they first started being produced like i fell in love with these lightsaber hilts and i i got a lot of them because like i was very spoiled like i i I recognize that and one thing that i ended up getting as christmas gifts year after year were these master replicas lightsabers so i ended up getting like i have yoda's episode two lightsaber replica and then his battle damaged episode three one i have a darth sidious 
lightsaber and Mace Windu's lightsaber is my favorite that I have. Like I just, I just love it. And then I have a Han Solo blaster replica, the holdout blaster this big and a blueprint of his blaster that I have hanging on the wall. And then my absolute pride and joy is a Darth Vader lightsaber replica that has a signed placard by James Earl Jones that I love this thing. It's in storage right now, but whenever I get my shelves built, there's a really good chance that one of the big ones is going to have my Darth Vader replica lightsaber on it with my James Earl Jones signature on it. That like I, these are like pride and joy things where if I'm ever out of money, like with switching to freelancing, Jennifer and I have talked about if we run into the point where we don't have any money, I don't have any contracts. I've got so much stuff in storage that I can just sell to help keep the family afloat that that James Earl Jones lightsaber specifically that and the Yoda statue will be the last things I sell of anything I've got, but they're worth enough money that it's worth having that, that that's something about all the collection that I've done is that a lot of it is, is worth a, a, pretty penny and some of it is absolutely useless like some of it is worthless and will never be worth anything so i've been going through the storage unit the well i say the storage unit it's the workshop we have on our new house yeah i was gonna Um, ask like where do you keep all this stuff do you have a room that's dedicated to it is it all just shoved into storage where you never see it do you have it in your office or is it like everywhere like how do you manage it okay right now it's just i have pieces out in my office like and in the living room jennifer and i both have the things that we like the absolute most like i'm looking around my office right now i have a star wars 1977 vinyl record that that we got that is the original soundtrack and score from john williams that i think is awesome i have my yoda statue beside me i have a groudon pokemon figure above me on the windowsill that my nephew gave me because i like pokemon and he doesn't a pokeball a spider-man statue my mom gave me and a boba fett figure that i just kind of found um a kylo ren Funko, a Darth Vader Funko that were both gifts, and the day that Jennifer gave, the day that the Force Awakens toys launched, Jennifer went to Walmart that was beside our house, bought me the Black Series Kylo Ren, and surprised me with it before I woke up. And as I woke up, and like that means a lot, so it's sitting beside me, and a Spider Man lamp that my mom made me when I was 14 years old. Like that's in my office right now. And it sounds like a lot, but it's really spread out. And so you can't really see all of it at any given time. And like in our living room, we have some Funkos. We have some like her X-Files Funkos because Jennifer is like what Star Wars is to us. X-Files is to her. And so she has her Mulder and Scully Funkos that she's found and things like that. But for the most part, it's back in storage in plastic totes that I go through occasionally as we're trying to free up space in the house. And I toss on eBay. I go through, find the most valuable stuff that I, you know, that I don't care about getting rid of that. I look and I'm like, yeah, this was cool for a while. And now I don't, I will never put this out again and I will never do anything with it. And I either throw it on eBay or I give it as gifts for Christmas because they're not like re-gifting kind of things. These are stuff that you would probably find at a collector's like in a flea market in a in an I hate to say it but in an antique store because I've seen them there that you'll just see in different places that you would buy as collectibles and I've 
I've given them as Dirty Santa gifts. I've given them as Christmas gifts to add on to stuff. I have superhero action figures that I give my nephew. I'm the uncle who's like, hey, you want a toy? Hold on a second. Here you go, because I love you. (laughs) And it's just... I do stuff like that because it's things that I won't get the ones that won't give away the ones that have sentimental value or, you know, true like thousands of dollars value. But I throw a lot of them on eBay these days and we go through occasionally and make a purge to be able to get rid of of stuff that just will serve no use in the rest of our lives. That served its use. It made me happy that that kind of like kind of like you were saying earlier, like like you buy the stuff that, you know, will bring them joy when it's the top thing on their Christmas list. And that's kind of how some of this stuff was. It was a top thing on my Christmas list at some point, but now it doesn't have that that value to me anymore. So I'm OK with getting rid of it. I did that with video game consoles, too. Like I bought my first MacBook to go to when I started my Ph.D. by going through and selling old video games I had saved and, you know, having a working computer was worth more to me than holding on to killer instinct for the nintendo 64 yeah no that's understandable for me like like i mentioned before i need a space where it goes so i've purged tons and tons of stuff just from when i was a teenager in college and you know when i used to have things more scattered around like spread out like you're talking about and i don't have any of that in my house now like my house is actually more decorated you know, and it's something that my yeah. wife really likes to do is like figuring out what goes on the walls in which way and not just all paintings mm-hmm. or photos, but like a, you know, almost collage some ways. Some of it is just yeah. really cool stuff that from like antiques places or crafts fairs, things that go together. So most of our house is decorated by my wife in that way. And then um, yeah. over time, I had I had gotten a bunch of penny arcade prints because I love a bunch of penny arcade okay, stuff. Cool. Um, and so I had these prints and at one point I had an office at a job that I was at. So I had a big office. I had all these big blank walls. So I had bought a bunch of Penny Arcade prints that I liked and some of them were a series of prints that went together and I hung them all up around my wall because I had to, I was just looking at gray walls all day, you know, and yeah. like that office didn't even have a window. So I needed something to look at that was not a gray wall. Um, so I hung these all up and then when um, I left that job and I started freelancing they were sitting in the like the back of the closet for a long time and when we got this house we decided that we try to find a way to keep them or get them up somewhere and my wife got to the point where she said oh I know the downstairs bathroom so we have a bathroom that's all penny arcade comics and that bathroom is really cool yeah it has like a purple wall too that's kind of just brighter and more off color than the rest of the house because it's just uh-huh. a small bathroom that can be a little I don't know kooky I guess you know it's so it's basically like a comic bathroom but it's almost all penny okay. arcade stuff so it was fun because we found a place where they fit they hang up and they don't like take away from the rest of the house by being next to really nice art or really nice you know <laughs> yeah. things or like um, a table that my wife restored that you know, is like antique handmade and then she hand uh-huh. whatever and painted it. Like you don't want geeky stuff sitting on that or like a big print right next to it that takes away from it. So I was glad that we found yeah. a spot. So I have like my Penny Arcade bathroom downstairs that I really like. And then besides that, I was thinking like the only other geeky stuff that I really have is I have a ton of geeky t-shirts. Like I think many, many geeks have t-shirt collections that yeah. are just geeky stuff. And I have that. And I find myself going more and more towards liking the more subtle ones that still speak to the subject. thank you. Like, I don't want one that says Star Wars in giant letters on it and, like, a giant Star Wars logo that I'm walking around with. Because I can't wear that 
I can wear it out and about, but as I get older, I feel more and more dumb doing that. I like really? the one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, unless I'm going to like a Star Wars premiere or something, I like the ones that are more subtle, where if you glance at it, you won't necessarily know what it is unless you understand the subject matter. So I have a ton of Star okay. Wars shirts, but like one of them is all of the characters rendered as tiny little pixel art. And it's just like character after oh, character, yeah, line after those. line. I have one that has like all of the Star Wars vehicles with the name of the vehicle under it. But if you glance at it, it's not like in your face, you know, one of my favorite ones right now is like a it's it says welcome to Tatooine on it but it's like small font and then it has like the dual sun logo that's kind of made inside of the rebel logo and then there are shadows of r2d2 and c3po so oh i've seen that that is awesome yeah i love that one I, i love things like that i have a couple final fantasy ones also where it's like you can if you know the final fantasy it's from you can recognize the silhouettes of the characters and you know the design but if you don't know final fantasy at all you would see it and just go oh that's a cool design shirt so that's the way that i go with my shirts i like ones that they look like a cool design but if you know the subject matter you can really understand it i my favorite hoodie is like that it's a legend of zelda hoodie that actually it's nintendo official uh, official merchandise that I found at Goodwill that I was just kind of browsing through the the clothes one day and this green hoodie caught my eye and it's got like a three layer shadow of Link in like yellow, black and I can't remember the other color but you can barely tell it's Link unless you're looking at it and so it just looks like I have this design on a green hoodie when I'm walking around. And then most of the time I'm at a register buying something and the the clerk will look up and be like, oh, dude, Zelda, that's awesome. And that's how they recognize it, not from a distance where I've just got this big Triforce on me or something like that. But I do have a giant Star Wars hoodie that says Star Wars that has... Uh, has a TIE fighter, and I own the geekiness. I, I I used to be embarrassed a little bit by it, and I just don't care anymore, but I don't wear the Star Wars hoodie whenever there's a new movie around. Like, I probably, I may wear it to a premiere or something. Actually, last year, I wore uh, my Boba Fett costume hoodie to, uh, to the premieres because it looks like they're you know this kind of military-style hoodie, but if you didn't know it's Boba Fett, you know it's Boba Fett. And... I don't want to wear the Star Wars hoodie around when there's a premiere because so many strangers will go like, oh, hey, you like Star Wars? You seen the new movie? What'd you think about it? And then they try to have this dialogue with me and then I try to nerd out on them like, oh, yeah, I've seen Star Wars too. And so it kind of makes me uncomfortable just to nerd out that hard because I can't help it. And uh, I don't have a whole as many like nerdy T-shirts. I'm trying to build back up on that, actually, because when I lost weight, so many of my T-shirts were so much bigger than I can wear now that like I can't wear the geeky T-shirts I had. And and it costs so much money to replace that kind of thing. Well, and there's something about having the subtle designs. It's almost like a hurdle the other person has to jump over and and if they recognize yeah, it true. and bring it up, then you know that they are on at least a certain level of understanding that you can have a conversation yep. with them. Whereas if it just says Star Wars, like you said, you're going to get tons of people who are like, I've seen the Star Wars movies once. Whereas yep. if you wear a subtle thing and someone else picks up on it, then you can have a conversation and really connect with someone. I think that's one of the reasons I like yeah. it also. Yeah, because I was like, hey, I like Star Wars. And they're like, have you seen Rogue One? And I'm like, yeah, like that was pretty cool where they were doing with the crystals. And I'm like, yeah, it's really neat because it was the first time you get to see lightsaber crystals on screen. And it's like, oh, my God, kyber crystals. And they're like, "Uh uh-huh. 
that's cool <laughs> and I like like i know i do that to my wife all the time she's like i don't care about your lightsaber crystals she's like i love you i love that you care about this but please stop talking about lightsaber crystals and and just that kind of thing and like like you were talking about like making your your aesthetic and and the way that your home is set up using antiques and and, and pulling everything together and not having everything just side by side clashing one thing that we've done is there's a guy named james hance who i don't know if you've heard of him with his relentlessly cheerful art that he does a lot of of geeky prints and, and paintings that jennifer for christmas one year got me a a set of prints that was called man and muppet of steel and one of them was called dark starry night and it was batman in, that he had done a a starry night print that used batman instead of like the house and tower that looks really cool that you'd glance at and it looks like a Picasso, a van gogh print and then the Man and Muppet of Steel has Super Grove, a very fairly realistic interpretation of Christopher Reeve, Superman, and Super Grover beside each other, like meeting. And where you see them, and it look, it's not just having a movie poster or something put up, uh, because we have a fairly whimsical sense of style between us. We like jewel tones and brighter colors, and like we have a piece of art that we got at from an artist in Cannon Beach, Oregon, when we went, and it's a very pastel watercolor. And then we have it in a a kind of distressed frame that we have, but also in that same room, Jennifer has this really big wonder original wonder woman painting that she wanted a convention that she was so excited about this really cool that's really well done and well made that we have we usually sit on top of the mantle that the thing is like like three feet uh tall and it doesn't look out of place because of the colors and the other like whimsical aesthetic that we have but if it if we did a way more traditional Kirkland's kind of or, or Bohemian kind of style, it would absolutely not work in any way that we've gone out of our way to include everything that we like. But we do not want to be those people who and no offense to you guys who are like this. Please don't get me wrong uh, that I'm not saying anything bad against you listeners who do this. But we didn't want to just have fun codes and comic books on our wall. We wanted something else, but had subtle hints of the other things that we like as well. Yeah, and my house is, what is it? I, I don't even know different styles. I think my wife calls it rustic romantic, I believe, is yeah, what okay. most of yeah. our house is, which, yeah, I look at it and I go, yeah, okay, sure. And I like mm-hmm. it. I, I really like how what she's landed on, but it's one of those things where I I don't even like weighing in on it most of the time. I just, she kind of the- gives me a veto power. Like, if there's something I really don't like, I will say no before we buy it. But for the yeah. most part, like, she's just in charge of, decorating the walls because uh you know if i as long as i have windows like i would be fine living in a house without things (laughs) hanging on the walls so she's the one who cares about it so i let her be in charge of it it just it works out in our relationship that way um yeah i mean like i mentioned before with that with the office i had to get stuff up on the walls because i had no windows but as long as i have some window nearby yeah i'm fine like i I don't need stuff hanging on the walls but yeah I, i like what we've landed on for our house yeah. Oh, no, I was just saying, and my office doesn't have a lot of stuff on the walls yet. It's kind of just blank beige walls almost all the way around. And that's why Jennifer's building me those shelves is because even though I have a window, the blank walls are driving me crazy. So so I completely get the uh, I need not to have blank walls because it's, you know, being in here for like the last six months every day is like, give me stuff. I'm tired of beige. 
Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's a lot of geeky knickknack talk and a lot of <laughs> interior decorating discussion, I suppose, <laughs> that I wasn't yeah. anticipating, but that's okay. I like seeing where the podcast goes every week. I was going to do Geeky Offer of the Week, but then I realized that actually one of the things from my weekly geekery is a better fit for my book recommendation, so I want to just talk about it for a bit. But if you guys want a free Audible book, go to audibletrial.com slash geek to geekcast This is one that I just, I listened to about half of it and I read about half of it. So it's a John Scalzi book. I love him as a sci-fi author, but I just want to talk about mm-hmm. it for geekery anyway. And it's called Miniatures. So you were interested in this. Did you look into it at all or not? I, I looked it up on Amazon when you mentioned it because I had no idea that this was out. And Scalzi is one of my favorite authors. Okay, so it is a short story collection, but it's not even short stories. It's like mini stories, which is why it's called miniatures. There's a ton of stories in here, and the longest one I think is about twenty five hundred words. The average, oh, wow. yeah, the average length is about fifteen hundred words, and I think there's one in there that's like seven hundred words. They are all really, really, really short stories, and I just I liked it. I liked it a lot. It was kind of like story after story after story just rapid fire and the audiobook isn't super long because none of the stories are super long but like i said i i listened to half of it and i read half of it and both ways it was great so i would highly recommend miniatures but bj i think you would like it just because you like scalzi and you like his style of writing there's very little that he's written that i haven't read there's a couple of his early things that i've not read but pretty much anything he puts out these days i'm going to read so this is definitely on my on my list and I love the audiobooks of his stuff that pretty much every narrator that he's ever had has been just out of this world. So this one's one that I who had narrated this one? Uh, that's what I was going to say. There's it, this one's really cool because it has like eight different narrators because there's so many awesome. so many different stories in so many different tones of voice and so many different settings that they're constantly rotating. Like you never get the same narrator two times in a row. And then Ascalzi himself is also the narrator for the parts in between stories where he explains, yeah, this is when I wrote this piece and what it was for, or this one has never been published before, but here's what I was thinking at the time. He kind of gives you a little blurb right up front about the story you're about to hear. So he's in there too. So altogether, there's something like eight or 10 narrators, which is really cool. So yeah, if you guys want to listen to it, which is, this is a good one to listen to because of all the narrators and all the voices, again, audibletrial.com slash geek to geekcast. But with that, we should move on to the rest of Geekery, where if you guys don't know by now, it's where we share what we've been geeking out about this week. What did you have? I have been working on a lot of freelance stuff this this past week, catching up after, you know, the sick apocalypse knocked me down for a few weeks. So having in the background while I've been working on some articles and writing has been wonderful to have New Girl playing in the background. That I'm the kind of person who rewatches a ton of sitcoms because they're kind of comforting to me. And New Girl is one that I've rewatched the first three seasons of a lot. And then I haven't rewatched the fourth and fifth season and sixth season that's on right now that I haven't rewatched a bunch. And my friends always made fun of me for basically being Schmidt in a lot of ways. Like they even made me have a jar at work for when I said something that needed that I had to put money in. And those of you who have seen the show know what I mean. And we had a jar and they would just let me go jar and make me go put it in. And so while I was while I was uh, working, I just basically binged the last like 
two seasons of the show at four and five and in like a day and a half, maybe two to three days. And, and it was awesome. Like going back, this is one of my favorite shows. And it, I, at first it was because, you know, Zoe Deschanel is this kind of manic pixie dream girl. And it is, I do not care nearly as much about her character anymore as I do the supporting cast. Like I realized that they have put together a cast that I legit care about. And so rewatching the show, made me really appreciate how well cast the show is so i was re-watching that and i suggest if anybody has not has not seen it then you need to uh you really should go watch this show and as you go through watch schmidt and you pretty much get what it's like to be with me day in and day out only i'm a little less like quite a bit less pretentious <laughs> okay i haven't watched any of that show but i know you really like it so Oh, I love it. Like, I just giggle so hard. I like absurdity in my humor, and there's a lot of just, why would you do that? And then just giggling. And it's about 30-somethings as opposed to where a lot of sitcoms are, like How I Met Your Mother. Like, they deal with, like, getting through your 20s and into your 30s. And so as I've gotten older, I've liked seeing these kind of shows that grow up with me. And so New Girl is hitting that same, you know, contemporary demographic that I'm in. And then last night, we watched Double Jeopardy from 1999 with Ashley Judd in it. Have you ever seen this? Like, it's weird. It's a terrible, great movie, and I love it. Like, it was so much fun to watch. I don't think I've even heard of it. Okay, it it was one of those late 90s Ashley Judd thrillers, and, like, we found it on Hulu, and Jennifer really... mean nothing to me. I've told you I'm so bad with actors and actresses' names. Like, I don't even know who that is. I have no idea. Well, it's... I don't even know how to describe this to you. Like, it's such an absurd 90s movie. Her... Her husband framed her for murder. She got convicted for murdering her husband after, as he faked his own death. And then she gets released from prison and realizes that she can now murder her husband because she's already been tried for that crime and convicted of that crime. So it's this weird, and it's got Tommy Lee Jones in it as his typecast kind of, the guy who played Two-Face in Batman Forever. Uh, he's, he was typecast in the 90s as this kind of parole officer, sheriff, U.S. Marshal kind of guy. And it was law enforcement, dude. And it was just fun to watch to see this late 90s movie cinematography style and the choices that they made. Like, I had such a good time watching this that we're going to be watching a lot more 90s movies just because it was it was comforting and silly and also at the same time, completely and totally engaging for reasons that we cannot describe. Wow. Okay, yeah, you have to report back about other 90s movies because I'm sure you'll start hitting on ones that I remember. And I don't know how all of those new movies have aged. Yeah, this one aged exactly like you would expect it to have aged, except it was way fun. Like, I don't understand why it was so fun, but you could tell that it aged. But it's like, oh, cool, that came out when I was 16 years old. That's what movies were like. So from my end of geekery, I also read another book this week, um, The Arcanum Unbounded, which is the Cosmere collection of short stories. And it's oh, I can't wait to read it. Yeah, you really should. It's a Sanderson book. I would say about half of them are stories that have already been released as like singles or, you know, standalone novellas okay. or short stories. And so I'd read about half of them already. And then about half of them were new or they had never been published somewhere that was easy to get them. So they were new to me. But there were a couple in there that were definitely these are completely new stories. This is the only place that you can get them. And the Cosmere, which we've talked about before on other episodes, but Sanderson, he writes a lot of books. And there are some books that he writes that are, these are all just kind of standalone, whatever. But then there are core series that Sanderson writes. And he says, and he's always said, these are part of my Cosmere. 
and eventually you will start to see threads connecting these. So he is slowly getting to the point where there are some, there's no like direct crossover yet, but you're starting to see some of the strings connecting just a little bit. And this short story collection or novella collection, whatever, I mean, it's it's the length of a good sized novel when you look at everything that's in this. It is all about the Cosmere. So if you have read most of Sanderson, you should really read this book because it is so good and there are these subtle connections that you start to see and there are worlds that you touch on that you might not know about yet that are obviously going to play a part later. Um, if you have never read Sanderson before, do not under any circumstances read this book because it would just no. be gibberish to you. Like you have to have a baseline understanding of a bunch of his different worlds and their magic systems because he doesn't take the time to explain it. He's like, if you are reading this book, you are already deep into all of my novels. That's who this is for. So because of that, I really like it. But I also have to say, if you haven't ever read Sanderson, there are a bunch of great places to jump on. This is not one of them. However, I will say I haven't read this, but I just looked up this, the the stories that are in this. The one story that is in this that if you have never read Sanderson, the best thing he has ever written is in this book called The Emperor's Soul. That it is a standalone that you don't have to know any of the rest of the stuff to read that you can go pick up and just read as a. it, it is available on its own. Go read it. It is by far my favorite thing he has written. It is the most literary thing he has written, and it is also just one of the the most engaging stories he's done. And while it ties in very heavily with the Cosmere, it is also it's I don't even know how to describe how good it is, but you don't have to have anything for it like you do the rest of these that I'm looking at. Yeah, I would say that The Emperor's Soul is my favorite novella out of because I yeah. read a lot of novellas. I know a lot of people don't, but I do. I just like that format for whatever reason. Yeah, it's very good. And this is my favorite novella. Nothing has ever surpassed it. So, yeah, if you want, you go go just grab that one. Because, like you said, it's standalone. You can get it on Kindle or whatever. But, yeah, The Emperor's Soul. Check that out. And if you like it, then definitely go pick up the rest of this. Because I'm looking at what's in there now. And I'm like, oh, man, I got to read this. Because I've read all of Sanderson except for the two newest Mistborn books. Yeah, and I mentioned a few weeks ago that I had read through White Sand, Volume 1, the graphic novel. Mm. Um, And this collection actually has essentially like an issue or two from that graphic novel but in written form because he started it as a book and then he realized he wouldn't have time to ever write the book well not ever but he couldn't do it when he wanted to do it so they partnered up and made it a graphic novel adaptation but he actually had the first few issues worth of what ended up being issues written out in book form in novel form and that is in here and it's really good and i almost prefer the written version than the graphic novel but yeah, if you want a taste of a new world, that's also in here too. So keep that in mind. Um, Outside of that, I watched The Grand Budapest Hotel, which is a movie that I didn't know if I would like, but I really ended up liking it, and I've watched it twice now. I, I watched it once, and then I told my wife about it, and she's like, I might like that. So we watched it again together. And do you know anything about it? I hate Wes Anderson. I there don't know is, who Wes Anderson I is. Just, he's the director. Okay. Um. I hate his movies. I hate his style. I hate everything about everything he has ever done. This is a movie I will never see in my life under any circumstances, unless I'm being tied down to a chair, my eyelids pried open, and they tell me that they will murder my family if I don't sit there and focus my eyes on the screen. 
Yeah, you're a little more black and white than I am. I really like this movie, and it, it was really good. It's cool because it's like a story within a story within a story within a story. I think it's about four levels deep. And they use different framing devices from like a filmmaking perspective. So the aspect ratio actually changes depending on which level of the story you're in. It's super fascinating to see it go like almost back through time, but it's also back through different narrator's memory so the further you go deep into the story the more whimsical it gets because you're seeing it through a lens that's through a lens that's through a lens right there's that unreliable narrator part of it that is super interesting and i don't know i don't know why this movie was captivating for me but it absolutely was like i wasn't expecting a whole lot but I had seen a YouTube video about it that made it look like it could be interesting, maybe from just a filmmaking perspective. And then I sat down and I was completely yeah. glued to the screen, start to finish. And then the second time I watched it with my wife, I watched the whole thing without getting distracted. Like, it's a really good movie. I really like it. And I the- totally know why you like that from a cinematography standpoint and your background. I totally see why you would like Wes Anderson. He's one of those people for me. I know we talked a little bit about last week with people trying too hard. That's how Wes Anderson movies are to me. They feel like they're trying too hard to be quirky and do new experimental things. And sometimes they do work. And other times it just hits me as being like, Dude, just make a movie. Yeah, so I heard about this from a YouTube channel called Movies with Mikey, which I watched, okay. I binged all of it because I found it a few weeks ago, and I really liked like the film analysis in it, and um, I-, I would recommend checking out Movies with Mikey, but he had basically said that the director, which you said Wes Anderson, right? Um, he yeah. said that like he has made so many movies, and they always feel so Wes Anderson-y, and it doesn't always <laughs> fit. And he said, this is the yep. one movie where it truly fits. Like, it, it just works with the story Does they're it? telling. And he said, if you never see another direct uh, movie by this director, see this one. This is the one to see. Huh. And I was like, okay. Like, I, I don't know. I didn't know the director. You know, I forgot it between the time that he told me and the time that you just told me. So th- this is what happens to me. I am not a student of film studies. I'm a student of production, right? I've done so much like video yeah. production and live TV production, and I, I can truly appreciate what's go what goes into a production, but I've only ever taken a couple like one-on-one level film classes. I don't have okay. a film degree. You know, I, I never sat down and just analyzed film after film. I've never had to write paper after paper about yeah. it and learn okay. the actors and directors. Like, that's not my background. And... I don't know. And you see, I don't have the production background. I have I have the film studies and narratology background. So that's what I see with all of you know. I go from I can go from director to director in different movies and look at it and trace it that way. From like the Life Aquatic with Steve Cissou to you know Moonrise Kingdom and all of this to the Grand Budapest Hotel and yada yada yada, and see the Wes Anderson threads through it and how the stories are being told that kind of thing. But in terms of the actual production of it, like you do, I have zero training there yeah and see because i'm bad with actors names i'll recognize faces but i don't recognize names and i'm bad at keeping up with directors like there are some directors in some series that yes i know them because they're super famous and i keep up with a couple creators that i really like outside of that it's kind of nice to just come to every film fresh right like if i'm watching a live production of something i don't watch sports a whole lot but like if i ever if someone else has sports on and i'm watching a live production of that or if somebody has like the local news on which again i avoid probably because i've done so much production for these things over the years i can't turn off my brain 
to stop analyzing them. It's nothing but analysis when I'm watching a live production, but I have enough production background and I've luckily don't have all of this weight of film knowledge on me that I can almost always come to a film completely fresh and just not have any expectations about it and just take it as it is. And I don't ever, okay. I don't really want to get out of that mindset. Like I don't want to go educate myself more about film again, outside of a couple creators that I really like. There are a few. And I mean, you know, like series like star Wars where I just know everything about them, but yeah they're few and far between so yeah 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 and i mean that's one of the reasons i'm so nitpicky on things like rogue one is because i do i can't turn it off the same way you can't watching this like having studied so much film and television and so much literature and and focus specifically on film as literature and how it's all put together and the stories and like i said i'm a narratologist so that's really what i care about is the storytelling aspect of it that's like why i was so critical of rogue one was because of how that impacted me that i just cannot turn off yeah and i like some film critics and analysis and stuff there are actually a few youtube channels that i watch all the time that that's all they do right but i i something about i kind of keep myself willfully ignorant about some aspects of film and film history so that I can keep enjoying films without overanalyzing them. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. Um, okay. So outside of that, that, I've been told that I ruined books for people. <laughs> so, My students always told me that I've ruined their favorite things for them. And that, thank you. I'll never be able to watch this show or read this book again the same way. And I'm like, I did my job. Yeah. I don't need that. I like to enjoy the things I enjoy. Um, outside of that though, I also started playing Hitman, which is a game that, so at the end of the year, you know, we did our own end of the year list and I did ours before I listened to anybody else's podcast or anybody else's list that got posted on sites. But then after we did ours, um, I went and I consumed like all the creators that I trust, all of their lists on websites, all of their lists on podcasts, things like that. And I made notes about games that I had probably missed from the year that I should have revisited. So that's why I replayed Batman Telltale a few weeks ago. And Hit- right. Hitman kept coming up on so many people's lists. I was like, why? I don't understand. I've tried the series so many times. I hate the series. It never clicked with me. It seemed boring and a little bit too linear and like not approachable for newcomers at all. Um, why is this game on so many people's lists? So I finally went and I watched, um, it, it looked like it had been a stream, but I watched on YouTube later. And it was a bunch of guys sitting around playing Hitman, but instead of just playing it and like trying to beat the level, they were giving themselves challenges. They were pulling like um, conditions out of a hat where they would Hmm. like have to take out a target with a certain weapon while wearing a certain disguise. And then there would be like wild card things like you have to start in this location or you can't do this or, you know, things like that. So they were setting up their own challenges and playing it that way. And it was extremely fun to watch. And it was like, okay, so what's the deal with this? So I dug into it more. And this game, instead of having level after level after level, there are only six levels in the entire game that are fully fleshed out. But the thing is, every level is its own little world that's totally and completely fleshed out. Like, you would believe that these are real places in the real world in a way that I've never seen in a video game before. Like, it feels like a real working, living, breathing part of our world. And you are in it. So 
the fun isn't taking them out the first time, right? I've, I've only played, I played the two training missions and then I played level one because for whatever reason, when I bought the whole collection, so after the, I watched that stream, I decided to buy it because I was like, okay, I can see where the fun is in this game. Um, I bought it on PS4, but because the every level was re- released episodically, when I bought the collection oh. and I told it to download, it only downloaded the training levels and the first level. So I did those last night and then I got, I was like, oh, I want to see what level two looks like. And it's like, okay, download it. I was like, wait, didn't I buy this and tell it to download everything? So something got weird with the episodic structure. Yeah. I had to go and queue up all my downloads. So tonight I'm going to dive in and see what the other levels have to offer. But last night I just kept replaying those three levels over and over. And it gives you so many challenges and so many feats and so many opportunities that you can approach these levels in, I don't even know how many different ways. The fun is in learning the level and then playing around with it and trying to accomplish your objective in different ways or setting up challenges for yourself or trying to beat the challenges that the game has listed in it. So that's what I was doing last night. Like I beat the training mission. It had like all of these feats that you could do, different ways you could approach the target, different ways you can take them out. I did all of them last night and I never once got bored with it. Like even though it's the same level, like the levels are so well realized that it is just fun. It's, It's just so fun. So... If you like stealth games that have like a puzzle element or if you like stealth games that have like a really well-constructed, breathing, living world, you should really go look at Hitman, the Hitman game that came out last year that's just called Hitman. And if you're not totally sold on it, you can download. I think the training missions are free and then you can buy like level by level. Like you don't have to buy the whole game if you don't want to. If you want to just sample it and see if it's really for you, you could just buy the first level or whatever. Now, is this game available on PC? Because you said the PS4, but can you download and do those demos on PS3? I don't know if it's on PS3. I think it's or on... not PS3, but PC. I think it's on PC and PS4 and maybe Xbox One. I don't know. I don't okay. keep up with Xbox One that much. I could Google it really quick. Yes, I Googled it really quick. It's on Windows, PS4, and Xbox One. So yeah, you you should be able to go sample it on Steam, I would assume. Yeah, then that would be, that's definitely worth it. Cool. So like I said, I only played really one real level, and then I was trying to master the training levels. So I am going to play this a bunch more, and then I'll report back after I've experienced the whole game. I'll let you know how it goes. That does sound like really cool game, like a really cool game that this is not, kind of like you, this is not my kind of game at all, but... I used to love watching my friends play Tenchu on the PlayStation 1 doing exactly this, setting up those kinds of personal challenges that made it just so engaging to watch. So this is this is kind of a nostalgia hit for me to hear about that. Yeah, and I don't really watch streams of games very often, but this is one where I had to watch people playing the game to convince me to get it. So if you're interested, maybe go look it up. Go look it up on YouTube or on Twitch or somewhere and watch somebody stream it or watch someone play it for a while. Um, That's where I really saw, oh, okay, I see what this game has to offer. But yeah, right. yeah, I'll report back when I play more of it because I'm going to play more of it. Like, that's what I'm going to do tonight. I'm excited. I'm, I'm really enjoying this game a lot in this kind of release window in January where we don't have a whole lot new. So I'm just I'm glad I found something. I'm digging into it. Me too. That's great, because I've heard you talk to me about hitting your backlog on games and be like, well, I don't know what to do now. I'm going to play replay stuff. 
Yeah, so this is something new I can dig into, which is great. Hopefully, it'll get me close to the Switch launch, and then I'll be super excited about that. And with that, you can write to us with comments, suggestions, or feedback. Our email address is geek2geekcast at gmail.com, or reach us on Twitter at geek2geekcast. We also have longer discussion threads on our subreddit at reddit.com slash r slash geek2geekcast. And if you want to get email updates so that you get all of our podcasts from all of our network in your inbox whenever they go up, you sign up at geek2geekcast.net and tell us which shows you want to get the emails from. I blog at agreenmushroom.com and you can find me at grnmushroom. That's green mushroom without the E's on Twitter. I'm on Twitter as at Professor Beej, that's Beej with two E's, and I blog and occasionally podcast at geekfitness.net. We've been Void and Beej with your Geek to Geek podcast. That'll do it for this week. See you next week, geeks. Knick-knack, paddywhack! <laughs>